This is the Creative Life Show, celebrating being highly creative in a less creative world. I'm Joanna Peters, coach and mentor to professional creatives and creative professionals, and I talk to other creatives, innovators and thinkers about how we create, face down our critics, stay on track, get noticed and paid, and do the work we want to do. And I'm sharing the progress of my own book, all about creative people and how we thrive. Hello and welcome. So hands up if you've ever thought I'd be so much more successful if I was a bit more extrovert or introvert, if I was a bit happier or less anxious, more collaborative, maybe less sensitive or just braver. Today we're talking about whether any of that is ever true and a spoiler alert, it's probably not. So my guest is Marianne Cantwell. Now, she is the author of the best-selling book, Be a Free-Range Human. The first edition was translated into six languages and was a UK bestseller. She's updated and edited it. And the second edition is coming out now. That's September, if you're listening right now. Now, the subtitle of the book is Escape the Nine to Five, Create a Life You Love and Still Pays the Bills. Marianne went free range herself many years ago, and while travelling the world, she's built up a huge community of free range humans and a successful business and writing blogging career around it. So now, like me, Marianne is also a real fan of understanding your personality and using that as a starting point for the life you want to create, which is why all these beliefs we have about ourselves can be so unhelpful. Marianne, welcome to the Creative Life Show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I love your intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. So what, what three words would you use to describe your personality when you're at your best? Oh, that's such a great question. I would say enthusiastic, thoughtful, and also something about integrity, which is one of my biggest themes, that, that blend of enthusiasm, thoughtfulness, and, and just making sure that what I'm doing is true to myself and true to my word. They're kind of the three th- themes I keep having coming up. Right. Oh, I love that. What about the days where nothing's going right and you don't feel like any of those things? <laughs> Do you have those days? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. They're familiar, those ones. Honestly, and I, I talk about this so often I try to be as open and public about it these days as possible because I think that it's very easy to only see the outside of someone's world. And for me, while enthusiasm is my default state, I'm not in my default state all the time. There, I'm someone who finds it very easy to see the negative side, very, very easy to get knocked by something and not be sure how I'm going to get up again. So while my enthusiasm is very real in that moment, I would say there's a substantial amount of time, especially at different cycles in my life, where it isn't there and where I'm not sure if it's going to come back again. What words would you use for those days or periods? Ooh, I would say dark. And that's the only word I'd use. I use the word dark. Okay. That's great. And I, I think it's so great that we can talk about these things. And I, a lot I want to talk ar- about around this. We have what you describe, I think, as sort of shiny hair entrepreneur and everything's wonderful. <laughs> and it's so not true for so many of us. But I ask all my guests at the beginning, what does it mean to you at this point in your life to lead a creative life? Oh, this is the best question. I am so into this idea. And it is about, for me, it's about to, being able to be self-expressed in whatever 
creativity is calling to me at that time. And by which I mean, I make a lot of time for myself to do things like paint. So while I'm not a professional artist, um, one of my biggest passions is intuitive painting. So I'm often up in my little uh, place up in the hills in LA painting away. I also think for me, creativity is around collaborations. It's about conversations with like-minded people where you feel that spark and that moment where the ideas come together. So it is about that self-expression and the freedom to be able to do that without having your inner critic run the show 24-7 when you're trying to have an idea or put something out there. There's no greater killer, is there, than that inner critic. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about a time when you've hit a particular creative challenge. Could you talk us through that? Yes, absolutely can. It's actually a surprising time because it was meant to be the time when everything was going right. And so for a long time, I didn't talk about this because I thought, was I allowed to hit a creative challenge at a time when things were meant to be going right? You know, we often ask this, am I allowed to be down when the externals of my life are coming together by so many other people's metrics? And the time that this I hit a creative challenge, by which I mean I was creatively blocked, I wasn't sure what I wanted to be doing with my life anymore, and I wasn't sure where to turn, was actually about, I think, in the year or so after the release of Be a Free Range Human. Up until that point, I had been riding a high. I was loving what I was doing. As you said at the beginning, I created this movement of free rangers around the world. I was putting on these quirky little online events. It was a very creative and playful space, had such enthusiasm among my followers and my tribe. My book came out. It did better than expected, definitely better than my publisher expected. It started getting decent press. It started being shared by high-profile people. And I was like, I had all the things I thought that I'd wanted. And I was hit by, I would say it was the biggest waves of depression that I've ever experienced because I've I've lived with on and off anxiety and depression most of my life, even though I didn't know what they were until recently. And I was hit with this blackness. And that's why I said before, when the enthusiasm goes, it feels dark to me. And I was hit at a certain point, maybe it was like a year or so afterwards with this darkness, this blackness. And I didn't know what was wrong. All I knew was that I used to be someone who could sit down and write several thousand words. I used to do this every week to my email list. I used to write several thousand words in a love letter form. That was my absolute joy to do. And I suddenly felt like I had nothing to contribute. I had nothing of value to offer. And for that next year, free range humans ran off what I call old me. I didn't know where to go. I didn't realize that I was actually experiencing something chemical. I was experiencing a real brain shift, which had a name and it was depression, but I didn't know that. I just didn't know where to turn anymore. And so old me had luckily created a lot of content. And so I recycled that content. I luckily had an amazing assistant who could see that I I could barely leave the house. I was traveling, but then I'd sort of stay where I was. I'd really struggle to leave. And so she kind of picked up the pieces. And it wasn't until after I got, I very much dragged myself out of that, which I'm happy to talk about at the end of that. When I started to see the light again, I looked back and I said, wow, that huge creative block that I experienced where I couldn't imagine having an interesting idea again, it was depression. And in that year, 
And actually for quite a while after, as my mind healed, I'd felt like my brain was broken. Like I couldn't hold more than one thought in my head at a time, which is terrifying. I'm sure you can imagine, Joanna, as for people like us who are fast thinkers. You know, my brain and my being were my they were my livelihood. They were my joy. All of this, I couldn't use it anymore. It was like I was broken. And it wasn't until afterwards I thought, wow, I didn't know what that was. And now I do. And that was probably my biggest creative challenge. It took me actually a few years to recover from that. It's very interesting, isn't it, these terms of broken and healing? Because I think it, it is like that, isn't it? The brain just somehow breaks down, stops functioning. Yeah. I, and by the way, the reason I talk about this is since I've been sharing my story more openly, I've seen other people come to me and said, I didn't know I was depressed until I heard you talk about it. And so I find it so important because if I'd known what it was, I could have got help earlier, but I didn't. I just thought I was a, I was in a relationship I shouldn't have been in. I thought it was that. So it was just like this sort of massive excuses. But what you say there about broken, the experience that I had in that year, and this is why it, to me, was actually a creative challenge, was it was like the different parts of my brain could no longer speak to each other. Is I have a thought and it would slip out of my head before I could capture it. I'd try to write a line and it would just slip away. And like the world was completely overwhelming to me at that time. So yeah, there's a, it's a sense of this thing that we take for granted, our creativity and our, our mind. It's only like that when it's working well. And so today I don't take it for granted at all. I am so grateful that my mind is working and everything comes together. I think you don't you almost don't appreciate it until it goes away. Mm, I agree. At what point did you name it depression? It was after that year. So I think it was in if I get this right, I think it was in early 2015. I had decided that essentially I had to save myself from whatever was going on in my head. I ended the relationship I was in. I knew that to do that, I'd have to leave London. And like free range me was so scared of traveling at this point, which is insane. That's that's what I do. But I was so scared of traveling. I just thought the world was going to crush me in some way. But I made myself get on a plane. The only thing I wanted to do was go to Peru and do some plant medicine in the jungle, which is not me at all. I just had this calling. I was like, I have to go. And this is, if anyone knew me well, you'd be like, this is not in character at all. I just wanted to go and hang out with the Amazon tribes and see if there was any possible meaning in the world, because I was in such a state of feeling like after inspiring so many people, inspiring myself, it was like my opposite, my shadow side was just running me. I couldn't see joy in the world. So I went through this experience, spent like a week in the jungle, uh, a bit longer. And through the experience and the work I did there, I started experiencing joy again, like within, I think, a week or so. I started, literally, I would wake up and I would see the world and I would see trees and I would see birds and I would think, wow, it's a beautiful place. And I hadn't felt that. I hadn't seen beauty in so long. That's really interesting how fast that happened when you took yourself out of that environment. Yeah, well, it was actually the work I was doing specific because I was already, I'd already gone through Costa Rica and I was like, you know, not as unhappy, but I was still a disaster. But it was when I did the real work, then it changed. And it was moments like I, that was the first time in that space when I was at my rock bottom thinking I couldn't be creative again. I couldn't experience joy again. It was, I had to hit that. And when it started to come up, it was the first time I felt like I'd actually belonged in the world. 
You know, I'd spent so long of my life thinking I was always felt a little bit like an outsider, which is probably the way that I can write and communicate with those of us who don't feel like we fit. But I had never really felt like I belonged here. It was like almost I felt like I'd been dropped off by mistake when the spaceship was flying past. And I was like, well, what is this world? And in that experience, I felt like you belong here which is why I say that so much now in my work. You belong here. You're meant to be here. And to answer your original question, it was in about the weeks after that I got to Australia where I grew up. I landed there. I looked back over the last year and I could see my brain was still healing. I was still, I was getting better at holding ideas, but it wasn't fixed. And I started calling friends of mine who I knew had, you know, uh, actual depression. And I said, this is what I've been experiencing. And they said, yeah, that's what we have. And that's when I started to really take it seriously. But I always say just to, to, to round it off, that experience was the worst time of my life. And I am also so grateful for it because who I am today is completely formed by crawling out of that and no longer taking these things for granted. And what does that look like, not taking it for granted? (laughs) I would say the biggest things are that I was stuck in the sense that because I'd done something before, that's the only thing I could do. And I got into that um, mindset in that year. Again, ironically, because that wasn't who I was before. And that's completely different now. I end up making so many changes to my life. I was appreciating the here and the now so much more. So one thing was at the end of this experience, I thought that I'd go off and become you know, a hippie living on the beach selling uh, jewelry. I didn't do that. I ended up making a sensible um, housing decision and bought a place in London. Um, so it turns out that's the sort of thing that happens. I renovated that for a year. I indulged my love of design by doing a full-on renovation. I ended up moving after that to the US, moved to LA, and I really started re grounding myself into the things, as you as you talked about at the beginning, that were my creative passions. I started painting again. I've been doing it on and off, like occasionally. I started really diving into it. I started taking risks. A few years after that, as a result of all this, I actually closed down most of my online courses, including like, a super profitable membership that I barely had to show up to take care of because it no longer was in alignment. And the second edition of the book couldn't have been written without any of that because I kind of lost that fear of who will I be if I show my real self? And I was like, you don't have any other option anymore. Like if you don't show up and say the truth and you don't show up and show who you are, this is what happens. You will sink. You'll make these tiny compromises and they'll pile up on each other until they're crushing you. Is that what happened? Yes, absolutely. Because there's this huge irony, isn't that? Which I'm sure is not new to you. You write a book about leading a free-range life of freedom and following your dreams and your passions. But I'm hearing that you're saying, actually, that, that crushed you. Yeah. And in the writing of the original, that's the life I talked about. That's what I was living. I was super happy. But there was something about... I don't know what it was. And I've always wondered what happened. I think it was a combination of the sort of relationship I was in, which wasn't great for me. It was a combination of that, a sense of, I think I got very fast success without being grounded personally enough to know what to do with that. And that I think is really part of it. And also having a lifelong undiagnosed tendency to anxiety and depression, you put those three together in a pot, you put like some international media on it and you really have the recipe for someone either getting really highly adrenalized and you're going like really, I don't put it like, you know, that sort of manic state that a lot of people get into when they have success. 
that was where I started going. And I feel like, it sounds strange, but I feel like my body and my mind kind of saved me from it. I stepped away from the whole scene. Like it kind of, it felt like there was a force just dragging me away from it and saying, that's not who you are. That's not where you want to go. And that's not who you want to be in the world. And the irony is that's what it took for me to go back to being the free ranger that I was, if that makes sense. Like I was almost like I was about to go off into this stratosphere. I didn't, that really wasn't me. And this is like, actually at heart, you've always been this creative, quirky person doing things on your terms, having fun side projects. It isn't about this big, shiny world that so many people are saying is the natural next step. And now I know that intellectually and I feel it. Back then, it was only just an idea, but I was barreling in this other direction. And not least, I mean, you say on your website that you are a highly sensitive person, HSP, which um, if you haven't come across that, it's a term coined by the psychologist Elaine Aron for people with a particularly reactive nervous system. Now, I'm HSP as well. And I think like you, I'm slightly unusual and there were HSP extroverts, which is a sort of le- much less common form of it. But that makes as well, I mean, you, it would make me more susceptible to that kind of stress and pressure and, and stimulation. Do you think that was one of the things that you say almost saved you because your nervous system was just went, no? Yes. Oh my, I can tell you specifically how I know that. You've nailed it there. I remember I was around just around the time where I came out of the jungle because obviously that's what we all do, came out of the jungle, metaphorically and physically, was in Australia. Then I went to Bali after that, which I used to base out of a lot. And this is pretty much one of my last times I went to Bali. And I went there, I was staying in a house, a lovely villa with a pool, with a few other people who were pretty well-known online entrepreneurs. And I had just gone through this huge experience and they'd been like, come and you know, visit us and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, you know, my, my heart and head were saying, don't go. But there was this little like compliant piece of me was like, go and do the thing. So I went and I stayed. And of course it was started to knock me because I could feel that there, it was like their energy was like battle energy. It was like warrior energy. And that's not my energy. I can be very high energy. I can be very enthusiastic. I can barrel ahead, but it's not battle. It's not fighting. And my language is very different. And in that house, I, for the first time I raised the idea of HSP. So I talked about it. And I said, you know, I think most of my followers are actually HSP, even though they often don't know it. And they all looked at me and they're like, yeah, that's not us. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, my God, every other person, Jonah, that I had explained what an HSP was, when I explained it to them, they said, that's me. And the people who were meant to be my peers said, that's not us. And I was like, this isn't my home anymore. And I made that was a very conscious moment where I was like, I know my people. I know who I am. And the fact that, like you, I'm an extrovert HSP, which means that we have this double whammy of being incredibly sensitive and being able to feel everything in our environment. We have very sensitive nervous systems, immune systems, but because we're extroverted, we can so much more easily go out and talk a lot, you know, host the podcast, have the conversations. I felt like I, that was the role I wanted to take on. That was, the, that was my people now. And that was a huge shift at that point. One of the things you talk about in your book is you, you term it a workaround, which is brilliant. And a workaround is essentially something which you do to 
almost compensate for something, a different way you'd like to do it. Now, you say that one of your workarounds is that everything you do is collaborative. And that seems to fit really nicely with what you've just said. So you said that you're one of your workarounds to deal with stress, to deal with overwhelm is that actually if you do a big project, you do it with somebody else. Yes. Does that come out of that or was that always your way of working? Ooh, that's great. I Yes, I would say that unconsciously, it was always my way of working when things worked. So when I try to do something without anyone to talk to, it just wouldn't really, it would just feel sluggish and it would go slowly. It was around that time I started being very conscious of the fact that my pattern, I'm really into looking at patterns, was that whenever something worked for me, I'd had people around me who I could collaborate with officially or unofficially. So yeah, it's a huge part of how I work right now. What does that typically look like? Mm, this is uh, you going to ask that. So here's an example. <laughs> the second edition of Be a Free Range Human, it certainly isn't just my book. When I was writing, well, rewriting a lot of it and adding a whole bunch of new content, I had people on the other end of the phone who I could call, who I could Skype, who knew the free range world well, some of whom were previous readers who'd changed their life because of the book. And I would go and have deep conversations with them about the new section. So I I wasn't making any of these decisions myself, right? So it was up to me to pull off the final writing, but people were revising it. People were saying, you can't possibly cut that part. That part changed my life. And I'm like, okay, right, not cutting that part. And so that to me is collaborative. So the way it works that I find can be very helpful for people like us is that it's a sense of having a creative partner on every project, but that creative partner can be unofficial. So for one of my book chapters, I had a creative partner who I named in in the book as being core to that. But for other sections, I had a creative partner, actually two creative partners who aren't necessarily named, but who are you know mentioned elsewhere. And so it, it, you can pick and choose who your creative partner is at any point. It can be someone actively collaborating or not. But I think it takes away that sense that the entire world is on your shoulders and that you're supposed to sit in a white room, look at a wall and figure out all the answers yourself, because that, you know, that isn't how our creativity really works. And when you're talking about that, I'm really getting a sense of that enthusiasm and joy that you said is you at your best. And well, really having moved away from that darkness, is that one of the strategies you use to stay away from the darkness or is that just a, th- a thing that is always potentially there? I think that I'm, I've am i now made friends with the all the sides of me, which I know sounds a bit odd, but like, let's just say as I was writing the book, I think around end of December or January, I hit a depressive patch while I was doing second edition, but I'm so used to it now that I can see it coming. So I can see the signs of how it's, how my brain's switching. And so I can get through it quicker. But the, the key for me is number one, yes, having talking to people. Because the first thing I think we do when we're starting to sink is we isolate. And that certainly is my habit. I isolate straight away because I'm like, oh, I'll talk to people when I'm feeling better, when I'm socially acceptable, when I'm sparky me. And if I do that, I will definitely sink. So the first thing is as soon as I twig this is happening, I just have to start having conversations with people who I love. So that's the first one. But the second one is with that, with those conversations, making absolutely sure that I'm doing the things that will take that state of being seriously. So one for me is exercise, which I know is 
again, a very strange thing to talk about with creativity. But for me, if my brain isn't functioning, then my body needs to move. It's incredibly important. So you layer all these things together. And yes, people are important. um, But I think also self-awareness and not feeling shame about something about you, whether it's anxiety or depression or a personality quirk. And instead, as I say in the new edition of the book, actually embracing that and treating it as, I guess, sensibly as you would anything else in a business. You know, if you had a product that had a a certain way of turning on, you wouldn't tell it it was wrong for doing that. If you, there are so many things we don't label as wrong. And if we label the things about ourselves that are innate to us as wrong, we don't deal with them. And if we don't deal with them, they take over our lives. I think that to me is the biggest switch in the last few years. Right. And the flip side, of course, if we don't see them as wrong, they can be strengths and we can just use them for, for what they are. Oh my gosh, yes. I, being as you know, Joanna, being an HSP, if I wasn't a highly sensitive person, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. I wouldn't be able to write a book of this type. But my book is an empaths book. I think like it's all about the reader feeling like I'm talking to them individually. It's about being able to feel into them so intimately that people write back and say, how did you know I was thinking that at the start of that chapter? That's an HSP. Right. So it's the biggest gift. And I, I, I think it's the saddest thing I see is when I see people when I tell them about this and they say, that's me. And it's such a liability. It's the thing I want to turn off about myself. And I think, wow, like something I've said for years is that weaknesses are just strengths in the wrong environment. And if you're in an environment exactly that's making you feel that you're the fact that you might be more sensitive and notice things and feel the mood in a room, if you're feeling that is wrong, you are either in the wrong environment or treating that environment or trying to to fit into that environment 100% rather than being what I call in my TEDx talk, liminal, which is someone who has a foot in the world that you're in while also having a foot in who you are. So I think it's either one of the two. You're in the wrong environment or you're trying to be all in, whereas actually the people who are the most powerful are the people who can inhabit a world while also keeping a piece of their difference and bring and working out how to bring that to the table. And I think the thing about the sensitivity actually is that it can become a liability without the sort of the mindfulness and the awareness of it. Yes. Precisely because it's it's something which leads to overwhelm so easily. And what I will do is I will post in the links to the show a link to Elaine Aaron's book, The Highly Sensitive Person, because I suspect there might be quite a few of you listening <laughs> who will go, Oh, that sounds a bit like me. Yes. Absolutely. And you know what? I'm just gonna add to that. If anyone is listening and feels that, I really, really believe that while it can, yes, absolutely can be a liability if we don't harness it, it is such a strength to be a very high functioning HSP in a world where understanding other people, being able to feel into the world around us is absolutely key. You know, we're we're moving in a world now where algorithms and computers are getting smarter than humans and empathy the ability to feel is the one thing that right now isn't able to be done. Like this is the most human trait that we have. And I would really encourage you to look at how you can use it differently. You know, for me, it's been writing in a field that's full of very straight down the line how to's and being able to bring heart to it. So how can you do it by using who you are rather than fighting it? And I think with the coming back to the looking after oneself, for me, a real insight was the permission to walk away from busy, noisy, overwhelming environments. 
Oh my gosh, but, I feel you. Do, do you. Here's a question for you, Joanna. Do you go to like big conferences? Is that something you ever do? I have done, but these days I will give myself permission to go, although I'm extroverted and enjoy having conversations, I will look for the one-to-one conversations or give myself permission to go and sort of hide in a stairwell with a book or go for a walk at the breaks if I want to. me too. I always (laughs) say I'm only happy being at a conference, like a big one, if I'm speaking, because the stage is super safe. For me, that's yes. my version of HSP. I find the safe so safe. People are like looking at you, but they're not like all over you. So it's funny, you know, we, this is why I want to talk about this openly because, you know, we see people who are happy, who are enthusiastic, and we often don't see, and the more I talk about this, we often don't see that your and my story isn't that unusual. It's just that it's not talked about. So we have this sense we have to do things another way, which just... It makes no sense when you look at how people really are. We have the sense that we're broken. And I think there is a sense that we do we do break, but we're not broken fundamentally. It's just that we've I think we've stressed ourselves out to the point we've you know, we've we've pushed our engines too far. Yeah. All that. Yeah, that's one of the things that we that we can do. And um, Marianne, this has been fantastic. Where can people connect with you and find out about be a free range human? Well, they can connect with me if you're on Instagram. Come and say hi at Free Range Marianne and watch my stories because uh, that's where I'm usually playing. And you can check out Be a Free Range Human at beafreerangehuman.com. Uh, do put your name down on the email list as I am going to be doing some cool events and stuff around the book being released. And there's also mariannecantwell.com, isn't there? Oh, yes. <laughs> all of, all of those will be on the website at creativelifeshow.com for the episode, including the Instagram, which is full of sort of bright sunshine. I, there's, there's a lot of shiny hair there, isn't there? But that's, it's rather wonderful. Oh, absolutely. And this is why. And actually, this is why, by the way, I just want to be really clear on that. That's something we didn't get to talk about, but I do want to say quickly, is that when I decided to be a lot more open about you know, having these other these other sides to myself, I realized that that's not who I am most of the time. And who I am most of the time is who you see on my Facebook and my Instagram. So these conversations, it doesn't mean we're not one thing. You know, we don't put ourselves in a, I have occasional depression. I'm an HSP. I'm a bright, shiny head person. We're not in one bucket. And I think that's why I've been so passionate about being able to be all these things really publicly. So thanks for letting me add that in. <laughs> And I'm just going to add one thing in, in that for there's increasing research among creative people that actually says we don't conform to the normal um, categories of introvert, extrovert, the traditional ways we've divided people psychologically and other behaviours. Actually, we can be all these things simultaneously. And that's a whole other conversation for another episode. Mm, So thank you so much for listening. I'd love to know what your big takeaway from this episode is. Come over to the website or email me at joanna at joannapeters.com. I'd love to know what your takeaway is and what insight that's helped you with, perhaps with your creative work this week. So Marianne, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all that. And I hope that Be A Free Range Human is a huge best-selling success the second time round. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I'll see you back here very soon. Mm-hmm.